Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, for part 8, chapter 8. Feeling a little, a smidge better. I didn't feel better today, but I took a day off work, which was nice. And I literally slept until 3pm, which is a bit crazy. And then after that, I didn't do much. I still just sat there in bed watching my iPad. Um, so, that was cool. And... Confession. Overnight, I got my results from my PCR test, and it was positive. So it turns out I've had COVID this whole time, which I guess is, now that I look back, you're probably like, oh yeah, shocker. Um, it's probably pretty obvious, but I feel very silly for thinking I didn't have it all this time. Um, which, you know, I felt sick on Tuesday. <clears throat> I felt sick since Tuesday, but on the Tuesday... I went, oh, the first thing I did was do a rat test, which was negative, which led me to believe it wasn't COVID. Also, as I got sick, my partner and child were both recovering from having a cold, which was not COVID. They did the proper tests and everything. So I thought, I've just got the same cold as them. I've got it a few days later. And the rat test has confirmed that it's not COVID. But then it got worse and worse and worse and worse. Until I think probably yesterday was probably the worst day so far. And um, did the um, the PCR test during the day. The results were sent to me at like 3 in the morning or something like that. Positive. <clears throat> so there you go. I've been talking to you with COVID this whole time. Uh, I guess, I don't know, interesting experience. I've... I've it's been pretty painful, to be honest. The, the sore throat has been like razor blades. That's been the worst part of it. Um, and the aches. The aches around your body. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's kind of like a flu, I guess. Um, the other interesting thing that would differentiate it from a flu is that I never really had a headache aches everywhere but not really a headache <clears throat> interestingly <clears throat> anyway so that's um, <laughs> a little bombshell for you I've joined the COVID club uh, and then of course my partner and child have both tested positive today as well obviously we share a house together so um, I feel very silly that I didn't get tested earlier but we're all okay um, I think I might have had it the worst. They've both recently been vaccinated, where my vaccination was like four months ago. I'm actually overdue for the booster. So um, I th feel like it hasn't really affected them as much as it did me. Anywho, um, again, huge thanks to Acoustic Eels for filling in yesterday. S reading that, f you know, 40 minute, what was it? 40 something minute chapter. Absolute lifesaver with the way I was feeling yesterday. So huge thanks. I'm very grateful for that. Another confession, I was planning to read it, uh, listen to it, I suppose, today, while I was working, um, but then I took the day off work and slept all day, so I actually haven't listened to the chapter, so kind of relying on these comments to bring me up to speed. Um, I will go back and listen to it at some point, but yeah, moving on. Techrific says, kudos to Acoustic Heels for stepping in and helping out. Since I'm reading the same version, decided to listen to his reading. Well done. I appreciate it. 
Well done indeed. Swim says, Mama Fishy says, Poor Clothilda was not, now assured a small but secure pension, which would increase with the passing years, and when, as an old woman, she had finally moved into the highest bracket, she would even be given a quiet, tidy apartment in the cloister. Good for Thomas to ensure Clothilda is taken care of. Nice of Thomas. A rare nice moment from Thomas. Swim says the Mama Fishy says, Here are some fun facts about close-set eyes. If you aren't positive, if your eyes qualify as close-set, measure the space between your eyes. If that measurement is smaller than the width of one of your eyes, it is confirmed your eyes are indeed close-set. According to the ancient art of Chinese face reading, people whose eyes are very close together are considered confident and very independent. There you go. Davy Bones says, The book feels so different now, I'm actually enjoying it, although I did like the Trev Monday scenes with Tony. I really like seeing things from Hannah's perspective. The dentist scene was frightening. I can't imagine dentistry without painkillers. Davy Bones, I agree with you 100%. The book does feel very different now, and I am liking it more, even though I think the long chapters was A, a bit jarring, and just poorly timed, because I was so ill that (laughs) the idea of doing extra long podcasts at that time just did not time out well so it was frustrating me un- kind of unfairly not it's not a fair review of the book to say like the chapters are too long it's annoying because you know there's really nothing wrong with long chapters um and that dentist scene was indeed terrifying uh i'm gonna read one more comment here from Techrific. We should be used to sudden twists and turns of this novel, but her Weinshenk's upcoming trial came out of nowhere. We had basically only known him as a hard-working family man that came straight home after work, and now it seems he's been taking shortcuts in some unforgivable manner. I'm not sure what he's been accused of, and everybody basically assumes he's guilty, and if that wasn't enough, his case will be acerbated by the animosity between Hagenstrom and Thomas Buddenbrook. Hagenstrom will do everything to win this case. Did anyone pick up on what serious offence he's supposed to have committed? Swim says, basically a form of insider trading. He know he knew before anyone else about the fires and sold the insurance policies to others and then had to cover the loss. There you go. Alright, so we need chapter 9. I'm not on the right page here, so give me a moment. Um, I can't believe how long yesterday's chapter was. That's insane. It's odd, actually. Uh, I think there's only, like, less than 20 chapters left left of the book, but we've still got, like, you know, uh, 200 pages. So I think on average the chapters are going to be 10-plus pages. Anyway, here's chapter 9. It goes like this. Frau Pomanita was going along Broad Street in a great hurry. There was something abandoned about her air. She showed almost none of the impressive bearing usual to her on the street. Hunted and harassed in almost violent haste, she had, as it were, been able to save only a remnant of her dignity, like a beaten king who gathers what is left of his army about him to seek safety in the arms of flight. 
She looked pitiable indeed, her upper lip, that arched upper lip that had always done its share to give charm to her face, was quivering now, and the eyes were large and appre- with apprehension. They were very bright, and stared fixedly ahead of her, as though they too were hurrying onward. Her hair came in disorder from under her close hat, and her face showed the pale yellow tint which it always had when her digestion took a turn for the worse. Her digestion was obviously worse in these days. The family noticed that on Thursdays. And no matter how hard everyone tried to keep off the rocks, the conversation always made straight for them and stuck there on the subject of Hugo Winshank's trial. For of herself led up to it. She could call on God and her fellow men to tell her how public prosecutor Moritz Hagenstrom could sleep of nights. For her part, she could not understand it. She never would. Her agitation increased with every word. Thank you, I can't eat, she would say, and push away her plate. She would elevate her shoulders, toss her head, and in the height of her passion fall back upon the practice acquired in the Munich years of taking nothing but beer and cold Bavarian beer poured into an empty stomach, the nerves of which were in rebellion and would revenge themselves bitterly. Towards the end of the meal, she always had to get up and down to the garden or the court where she suffered the most dreadful fits of nausea, leaning upon Ida Jungmann and Riechchen Severin. Her stomach would finally relieve itself of its contents and contract in spasms of pain which sometimes lasted for minutes and would continue at intervals for a long time. It was about three in the afternoon, a windy, rainy January day. Frau Pamela turned the corner to Fisher's Lane and hurried down the steep declivity to her brother's house. After a hasty knock, she went from the court straight into the bureau, her eye flying across the desk to where the senator sat in his seat by the window. She made such an imploring motion with her head that he put down his pen with more ado and went to her. Well, he said, one eyebrow lifted. A moment, Thomas, it's very pressing. There's no time to waste. He opened the base door of his private office, closed it behind him, and when they were both inside and locked, looked at his sister inquiringly. Tom, she said, her voice quavering, wringing her hands inside her muff. You must give it to us. Lay it out for us. You will, won't you? The money for the bond, I mean. We haven't it. Where should we get 25,000 marks from? I should like to know. I will get them back. You'll get them back all too soon, I'm afraid. You understand. The thing is this. this in short... They have reached a point where Hagenstrom demands immediate arrest, or else a bond of 25,000 marks, and Winchink will give you his word not to stir from the spot. Has it really come to that? the senator said, shaking his head. Yes, they have succeeded in getting that far, the villains. Frau Permanida sank upon the sofa with an impotent sob. And they will go on. They will go on to the end, Tom. Tony he said, and sat down sidewise by his mahogany desk, crossing one leg over the other and leaning his head on his hand. Tell me straight out, do you still have faith in his innocence? She sobbed once or twice before she answered, hopelessly. Oh, no, Tom, how could I? I've seen so much evil in the world. I haven't believed in it from the beginning, even though I tried my very best. Life makes it so hard, you know, to believe in one's own innocence. Oh no, I've had doubts of this con- his good conscience for a long time, and Erica has not known what to make of him. She confessed it to me, with tears, on account of his behaviour at home. We haven't talked about it, of course. He got ruder and ruder, 
and kept demanding all the time that Erica should be lively and divert his mind and make him forget his troubles, and he broke the dishes when she wasn't. You can't imagine that it was what it was like when he shut himself up evenings with his papers. When anybody knocked, you could hear him jump up and shout, Who's there? They were silent. But suppose he is guilty, Tom. Suppose he did do it, began Frau Permanida afresh, and her voice gathered strength. He wasn't working for his own pocket, but for the company, and then, good heavens, in this life, people have to realise there are other things to be taken into consideration. He married into our family, he is one of us now. They can't just go and stick him into prison like that. He shrugged his shoulders. What are you shrugging your shoulders for, Tom? Do you mean that you are willing to sit down under the last and crowning insult these adventurers think they can offer us? We must do something. He mustn't be convicted. Aren't you the Burgomaster's right hand? My God, can't the Senate just pardon him if it likes? You know, before I came to you, I nearly went to Kramer to get him to implore him to intervene and take a stand in the matter. He is chief of police. Oh, child, that is all just nonsense. Nonsense, Tom, and Erica, and the child, said she, lifting up her muff with her two imploring hands inside. She was still a moment. She let her arms fall. Her chin began to quiver, and two great tears ran down from under her drooping lids. She added softly, and me... Oh, Tony, be brave, said the senator. Her helplessness went through him. He pushed his chair up to hers and stroked her hair in an effort to console her. Everything isn't over yet. Perhaps it will come out all right. Of course, I will give you the money. That goes without saying, and Breslau was very clever. She shook her head, weeping. No, Tom, it will not come out all right. I have no hope that it will. They will convict him and put him in prison, and then the hard time will come for Erica and me. Her dowry is gone. It all went to the setting out. The furniture and pictures. We shan't get a quarter of it back by selling. And the salary was always spent. We never put a penny by. We will go back to Mother, if she will take us, until he is free. And then, where can we go? We'll just have to sit on the rocks, she sobbed. On the rocks? Oh, that's just an expression, a figure. What I mean is, it won't turn out all right. I've had too much to bear. I don't know where I came to deserve it all, but I can't hope any more. Erica will be like me, with Grunlich and Permanida, but now you can see just how it is, and how it all comes over you. Could I help it? Could anyone help it? I ask you, Tom, she repeated, dreamily, drearily, sorry, and looked at him with her tear-swimming eyes. Everything I've ever undertaken has gone wrong and turned to misfortune. And I've meant everything so well, God knows I have, and now this too, this is the last straw, the very last. She wept, leaning on the arm which he gently put about her, wept over her ruined life and the quenching of his this last hope. A week later, her director Hugo Winchenk was sentenced to three and a half years imprisonment and arrested at once. There was a very large crowd at the final session. Lawyer Breslau of Berlin made a speech for the defence, the like of which had never been heard before. Gosh, the broker, went about for weeks afterward, bursting with enthusiasm for the masterly pathos and irony it displayed. Christian Buddenbrook heard it too, and afterwards got behind a table at the club while a pile of newspapers in front of him and reproduced the whole speech. 
At home, he declared that jurisprudence was the finest profession there was, and he thought it would just have suited him. The public prosecutor himself, Dr. Moritz Hagenstrom, who was a great connoisseur, said in private that the speech had been a genuine treat to him, but the famous advocate's talents did not prevent his colleagues from thumping him on the back and telling him he had not pulled the wool over their eyes. The necessary sale followed upon the disappearance of the director, and when it was over, people in town began gradually to forget about Hugo Winschenk, but the Mrs. Buddenbrook, sitting on Thursday at the family table, declared that they had known the first moment from the man's eyes that he was not straight, that his conscience was bad, and that there would be trouble in the end. Certain considerations, which they wished now they had not regarded, had led them to suppress these painful observations. And that's the end of uh, part eight. Cool, we'll start part nine again. What is it with these Buttonbrook women's choosing just the worst possible husbands? Alright folks, thanks for listening, see you tomorrow.